Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. So tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And as we've been going forward in Matthew, we are going verse by verse. Yet, as has been the custom here on Saturdays, we try to be a little more topical, like a little more focused on a particular topic that just comes up in the text. And so tonight we get a little bit of a hybrid because we're going to look at these different elements of chapter 4 in their own context historically with a couple of things that are important to note And then we're going to really hone in on one element of this chapter. And they are connected because it's Jesus connecting them, but they are a little different. So let's let's go verse by verse into this text tonight. So Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has been baptized. The Father has confirmed that he is the Son. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all time, has confirmed that Jesus is the Son of God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness... To be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him and said, He said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him uh, into the holy city uh, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and now the devil's quoting Old Testament scripture out of context. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. In Luke's gospel, we're also told the bonus thought that the devil departed until an opportune time, which is a sobering element to add to this part of the story, because that's how the devil works. You get these different titles of the devil in these passages. He's the, he's the tempter, he's the devil, he's Satan. And he's tempting. Now, the story of the temptation of Jesus is very unique. Because for one, it says the Spirit led him to go be tempted. And we know that the Father doesn't lead us into temptation. We're actually, in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. We're to be made aware of, to recognize temptation. And really, we know that every temptation is a test. Just like Adam and Eve, our forefathers in the faith, it's a chance to show obedience and obey the Lord or to disobey and go after things other than the Lord. The tree of life is life, and him is life, and it's the light of men, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you know, it's always a bummer when you get old enough to know good and evil, and it's never a good feeling. And so we all know what that's like one way or another, the the loss of innocence. So from the time of Adam and Eve and the original sin, and sin entered the world, and the curse of sin came upon all things, thus death entered the world through one man, the entire universe, trillions of galaxies, 
the law of entropy working. Everything is, though the universe is expanding, it's dying at the same time. And though beautiful newborn babies are born every day by the thousands, they have a death sentence in them and just add 80 years and they will begin to look like they're ready for eternity. And certainly in their 90s, your 90s, you will. That's just the way it works and time works equally for everybody, the consequence of sin and death upon the human race. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden in their sin, we know the three areas of temptation that sin existed. The lust of the eyes, what you see and you lust for, we all know that one. Uh, The lust of the flesh, what your flesh desires and craves, we all know that one. And the pride of life, and we all know that one too. So those are the three areas of temptation that Adam and Eve fell in with the sin in the garden. And then here Jesus comes along and we see that he's tempted in those same three areas. Now, though it's not in this context, in 1 John we're told through faith in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are to stand against these things and these three things are affirmed again, that these things are not of the Father, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But we also know there's an unholy trinity that works in time, space, and matter where the devil is the tempter and the world is temptation and we have this treasure in earth and vessels and we are tempted. Just because we have faith in Jesus and born again by faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we aren't tempted. In fact, I always used to tell people, still do if they ask me, if you doubt the existence of the devil, just try living for the Lord. Because as soon as you get serious with Jesus, the devil shows up on your front door one way or another to try and discourage you from from doing so. This temptation was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come upon Jesus at his baptism and the mystery of all that. But moving on from that, he was led to be tempted. The reason Jesus was led to be tempted is he had to give victory for us where our head of the race, the first Adam, fell in sin. Where Adam and Eve fell where they failed and fell in sin, thus sin entered the world, and we're all, he who sins is a slave to sin, and the wages of sin is death. And those who are bound in sin are taken captive by the devil to do his will. Jesus began his ministry by bringing victory as the second Adam. Now, in the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we know that it starts with Mary and goes all the way back to Adam. And we also know in the teachings and the theology and the doctrine of the New Testament that Jesus is the second Adam. And so what was lost in the first Adam, Jesus is called and referred to as the second Adam. So what was lost here, for an Adam all sin and die, when we come to Christ, all are made alive through faith in him. His victory is our victory, and his victory is really two bookends. Because we often think of the cross and the empty tomb as the victory of Jesus for us, and rightfully so. He died for our sins and rose from the grave for our hope and justification. But really the victory began where he defeated the devil in this battle of temptations as the second Adam. So this really, this story isn't so much like, hey, body of Christ, go have victory. Like, no, I'll tell you, don't go to the desert for 40 days to pick a, a fight with the devil. All right? I mean, I said, I've learned a long time ago, I don't need to pick a fight with the devil. He'll pick it with me. You just do God's will. And stay in God's will. And that's where you're invincible. But whenever I kind of got a little full of myself and confident in myself, man, it was always trouble. And I'm not afraid to be engaged in spiritual battles. But I've learned that if I, what does they say in sports? The best defense is a great offense. So if I'm just focused on doing what God wants me to do, then like David, I can say the battle 
is the Lord's. But this was a special battle between Jesus who cast out Satan from heaven and the one he cast out. This is a very, this is a heavenly eternal battle. This one, this, this, this whole story precedes itself in eternity and the glory of another dimension that, well, through faith in Jesus, we'll see, but not like Satan and his, as Lucifer, that special angel of glory. And Jesus came and made it straight. This is Jesus's first great victory over the devil. And when Satan entered Judas's heart to betray Jesus and see Jesus crucified, that's where we really see how Satan doesn't know everything. Because in doing that, Satan actually sealed his final defeat. And what we really see when Jesus says here to Satan in the wilderness, away with you, at the lake of fire, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, he'll cast the devil and his fallen angels into the lake of fire once and for all. So he'll have the final away coming, and it's coming on our behalf and all the, the redeemed as well. But he was tempted in these three areas. They're very real temptations. I can only imagine how hungry Jesus was in his human nature, that deity and humanity together. The first temptation began with his weakest point, right? He was hungry, 40 days fasting. It's not a coincidence. The first temptation is matched up to expose that weakness. And yet, Jesus, we're told in Hebrews, had to be tested in all things like us so he could be victorious where we aren't. And he can ever live and intercede for us when we are tempted for our strength for victory and for our comfort in defeat because he knows exactly what it's like to be human in that way. But he's got perfect victory. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God, not by good works, but by positional righteousness through faith in Jesus being reckoned to us. For when the Father sees us in faith in Jesus, he sees the perfection of his Son. That's positional righteousness. And this is part of that purpose and plan right here. Because I always say this about Jesus. He's the perfect toddler, the perfect fifth grader, the perfect junior high, perfect high school, perfect citizen, you never bring a, a reproach against Jesus. Even when he's crucified, it was false accusations, but essentially it settled, settled in on this, that he claimed to be God. And he is. He is God. So Jesus, that's the victory of Jesus. Now, verse we read on here in verse 12. So after the, the devil was gone and the angels ministered to Jesus, it says, now Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison so he that is Jesus departed to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that's the former Jewish tribes. That was the territory they received in the book of Judges, the northern region to pretty much the left of the Sea of Galilee, going toward Lebanon and the Mediterranean Sea, Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in a region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A couple important things here contextually. If you harmonize the Gospels and the chronology of the ministry of Jesus, after the baptism of John, if you're reading the Gospel of John, written by the Apostle of John, not John the Baptist, we read about how Andrew, Peter's brother, one of the, the 12 apostles, was a disciple of John the Baptist. 
And then, then Andrew, when Jesus came on the scene, and after John the Baptist said that Jesus is the Son of God and the Lamb of God, Andrew tells his brother Simon, and he, Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to change your name to Peter, which means like a stone. That's all in John chapter 1. Well, after that, John chapter 1, 2, 3, and all of 4 all happen between what we just read, verse 11 and verse 12. Uh, it's, a, it's months. So when Jesus went in the temple the first time and cleansed the temple, the woman at the well, right? That all happens in between these two verses, the, the, the temptation text we read and this text we just read right here, the beginning of his ministry based out of Capernaum in the region of Zebedee and Naphtali by the Sea of Galilee. In fact, Luke also has chronological details that precede this as well. That famous story of Jesus when he went to his hometown of Nazareth, went in the synagogue, read Isaiah, and said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. That also is between verses 11 and 12 right here in Matthew 4. So Jesus had been rejected by his community there in Nazareth before he came here. So as Jesus begins his earthly ministry to present himself to the nation of Israel as their promised Messiah, the Christ of the Old Testament, the, really the Savior of the world, where we read here that he'd heard John the Baptist was now imprisoned by Herod the Tetrarch, one of the descendants of Herod the Great, and that it says, and leaving Nazareth. That's all it says in Matthew's account, but he left Nazareth because they're about to push him off the cliff, remember, and he walked right through them, and that was it. And he said, you know, because of their unbelief, he didn't do many miracles there, and because his fame had already began to spread because he had already gone to Jerusalem and presented himself in what we read about in John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. Now, he had the encounter. We have Jesus connected with the, the tempter, the devil himself, in those first 11 verses. Here he's connected with John the Baptist, now in prison. He's connected with the city that rejected him, that he grew up in. The perfect kid, the perfect high schooler, the perfect man, the perfect citizen. That city rejected him. That city rejected him, and he's identified there. But he's also identified with where he's going to be based out of Capernaum, the town of Capernaum there on the Sea of Galilee, the region, Galilee, and that region of Zebulun and Naphtali, which when Isaiah prophesied that, that's when the Assyrians had conquered the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes. Now, we studied all this in Chronicles, but the 12 tribes of Israel were unified until 931 B.C., when Solomon died, and then they were divided, and the ten tribes were in the north, and the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, in the south. And they often were at civil war with each other because the ten tribes in the north worshipped idols and in many, most cases, rejected the worship of God. No good kings, remember? All bad kings in the north. Some good kings in the south. And I find it very interesting that, because we're familiar with the Assyrian kings, because we just finished all this about these guys that came down, Sennacherib and them, Seven, so right about the time of Hezekiah in the south of Judah, and these northern kings are going down in, in the north for their sins and being overrun by the Assyrians, that's when God says in this place of great darkness, because it would have been darkness. Remember, they were taken away captives and displaced from their homelands. It, it would have been a very dark time. And this prophecy was spoken by Isaiah, along with many other wonderful ones pertaining to Christ, and it looked ahead to the fact not so much even the people that were going away into captivity, but like 700 years later, 
when God himself would come to that region of all places on planet Earth to show himself as God. All those miracles that Jesus did to show that he is God of the universe, he did in this region. Who could have known when Isaiah said that, like 725 B.C., when their whole world's caving in, losing their asset wealth, losing their vineyards, and being taken into captivity, losing their freedom, that God was actually speaking of a great light that would come, not to rescue them of that generation, but that God himself would come 700 years later for all of humanity, of which we are the beneficiaries tonight in Jesus' name. It's amazing to think that. Also his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We saw this last week. John the Baptist's message was one of repentance. And all good things with the Lord begin with repentance because we're we're born, we are born in rebellion to God, contrary to God. There's none that seeks after the Lord, no, not one. So it's through repentance and faith in Jesus that we turn toward God We agree with God, and we begin to go in the right direction with God. So even as John the Baptist's message was repent for the Messiah is coming, Jesus' message was repent for the Messiah is here. In fact, he said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He said that later on. So this is the base of his ministry. So he's fought the devil. He's established his base of ministry of operation. And now we read on in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan." So in a time and culture so different than one we could relate to, that circle of influence is, you know, a radius of 100 miles or more where things are happening that have never happened in human history before. Nothing ever in human history. And the uniqueness of it is what we're going to be studying as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. If you think about, you know, the Eastern religions, as I mentioned right about the the time of the fall of Jerusalem, That's when Confucius and Buddha lived in the East during the captivity, the Babylonian captivity. They both lived about the same time in the East. The Greek Stoic philosophers that Paul the Apostle encountered, the the real leaders of those guys were about about the time Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall. So they'd been around for centuries. So the Stoic philosophies and, and those Greek philosophies were firmly entrenched. There were very powerful worldviews Pretty much in every known well in every known culture at the time, everyone has some kind of a worldview about the meaning of life and time and eternity, and it was no exception in their time. And it's just so glorious to think that God set aside the Jews to be His people in a covenant. He gave them His law to guide them and show all of us in all future generations right and wrong with the Lord. And then He promised to send His Son to redeem us because we can't keep His law. 
And so to be saved through his son and then to be empowered by his spirit to bring glory to our father in heaven. And this is the beginning of it, these last couple of verses. This multitude, Gentiles and Jews coming together. And when people are desperate, you know, you learn this in ministry. You learn this in life. People are desperate. I've shared this story in the past, but my, my uncle, who I never knew, Bud Jr., my mom's older brother that she just loved and worshipped and adored, he died of cancer uh, in his late 20s, early 30s. And my grandfather, Bud Sr., who I knew very well, he was Catholic, devout Catholic, and as was the whole family. And he was desperate for his son. And my, uh, my dad told me this re- you know, about five years ago when he first went into... Um, assisted living when he was still very sharp and he told me like yeah you know old bud he he went to italy he literally went to the vatican and got like the healing holy water from the holy sites and brought it back to to heal bud jr now my dad was raised liberal protestant so it was a very distinguishing thing for him you know he married a, a very devout catholic wife the bell of the ball as he would say and and you know as I talked with my dad about this about five, six years ago down in La Costa at the Sunrise facility there, he goes, you know, Joe, I learned something that people are desperate. And Bud was desperate. He loved his son. And I was like, I can't, I, you know, mom never told me that story. No, he, he said he flew to Italy and, and, and got that. And of course, it didn't work because Bud Jr. had his leg amputated to try and stop the cancer. And then Bud Jr. died of cancer before I was ever born. And then Susan, my mom's older sister, also died of cancer. In her early 30s, well, she was dying of cancer in her early 30s, but she actually died in a fire when she was terminal before she could die from cancer. These are desperate people here. Wouldn't you agree? These are desperate people. One thing you learn when you make yourself available to be in ministry, you know, just volunteer or vocational, you realize that the world is filled with desperate people. All around us, there's desperate people. Desperate people that don't want to hear about the Lord. Desperate people that do. Desperate people that will grab on anything if they think it's going to solve their short-term problem or their sorrow in time, space, and matter. These are desperate people. What I've learned, though, in 35 years of ministry is so often desperate people are only desperate for the temporal. They don't understand there's a, a greater thing of the eternal. Which kind of brings us to, it does bring us to our application tonight. Because the fascinating thing to me in this chapter, once you get past the temptation of Jesus and the establishment of his ministry, is these four men who are the disciples, two different sets of brothers, in the fishing business together from two different families, that in a chapter where there's multitudes of people, innumerable multitudes, being healed of all their needs and all their needs being met, with no names in the multitude, yet contrast to that multitude, are four men that we know are going to change the world. Peter and Andrew, John and James. It goes back to what we always say, many are called, but few are chosen. And Jesus taught those parables where he invites all the people to the wedding feast and no one wants to come. And whoever is willing, let them come. It is a narrow gate. And the narrow gate is the discipleship of Jesus Christ. The real experience, of the real goal, the real objective, the highest ideal of the human experience, without a doubt, is to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, to become his disciple and fulfill our divine destiny of purpose in obedience to him with the power 
of the Holy Spirit and the promises of God's word enabling us and moving us forward till the day of the Lord, forward, onward, and upward, always with the Lord. And it begins our whole story of Jesus reaching fallen humanity and, and bring, drawing men and women to himself and transforming their lives. And, and we're going to have the Sermon on the Mount beginning next week, these incredible truths. They, their strength belongs to disciples. Disciples are people who have heard the good news of Jesus and responded in personal faith. As many as believed, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Not born of flesh, not born of blood or the will of man, but born of God. John chapter 1. To be born by the Spirit through faith in Jesus. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.